Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Today, Australia's census fail. What went wrong? why it happened and what it means. We'll hear about why the census is so important to researchers. The census is the only means by which we can understand the composition and geographic distribution of the population. Take a look at the changes that provoked an online backlash. Unfortunately, with this census, with everything that's happened, we've seen a complete loss of trust in the Australian Bureau of Statistics and I think a loss of credibility in any data that's generated from this particular census. And take a look at the incident that left Australians locked out online. It's not unusual for malicious actors to want to make nuisance over something that is very public because of course the nuisance is equally very public. Stay with us. Hello and welcome to Policy Forum Pod, the podcast for those who want to dig deeper into the public policy challenges facing the Asia-Pacific region. I'm Martin Pierce. In this Policy Forum Pod, we look at what is shaping up to be the biggest political and policy bungle of the year, Australia's census fail. Every five years, Australians are asked to fill out the national census. It's a weighty form which asks you lots of information about how you live your life, what you earn and what you do. It's compulsory, and there are fines for those who don't do it. Traditionally, it's been a paper form, but more recently, Australians have been encouraged to jump online and do it. At 7.30pm on the night of 9th of August, as the government was urging people to log in and complete the census, the website specifically designed to collect the data from Australia's 24 million people was taken offline, following a series of what are being called denial-of-service incidents. These incidents, which are caused by parties as yet unknown, essentially crashed the website. The incident has become a source of acute embarrassment for the government and the agency that manages the census, the Australian Bureau of Statistics. It inconvenienced and created concern for pretty much the entire Australian population, and with it, it raised serious questions about trust, privacy and the cybersecurity of government agencies. The government has ordered a review into the debacle with the Prime Minister declaring that heads will roll. But even before the night of 9th of August, this year's census was in trouble. Changes to the information collected, as well as the length of time the information would be retained and how the information would be used, had all led to pretty significant concerns. On Twitter, users highlighted and discussed these under the hashtag censusfail. Today, we'll have a look at censusfail from three angles. Coming up shortly, we'll hear about why the census is important and what researchers can do with the data. We'll also hear about what the concerns were and why so many people were vocal in their opposition. And finally, we'll take a look at that denial-of-service incident and what it means for the state of government cybersecurity. First, let's take a look at the census itself and why it matters. Earlier, I caught up with the Australian National University's Dr Liz Allen. Liz is a highly skilled demographer and social researcher and has been at the forefront of the debate surrounding the 2016 census and explaining why the census data is so important in effective government service delivery. Here's what she had to say. 
Liz Allen, thank you for joining Policy Forum Pod. Thank you. Liz, why is the ABS census data so important? So the census um, is the, the only means by which we can understand the composition and geographic distribution of the population. So the census is quite unique in that it gives, gives us the opportunity to, to view things in a complete manner um, and allows us to understand things about populations that we wouldn't otherwise know about. Uh, one of the key issues raised was around retaining data, particularly people's names and addresses. Why is the ABS interested in retaining that kind of information? So names and addresses have always been collected in Australian censuses. Names and addresses are collected primarily to enable proper understanding about net undercount, what's known as net undercount in the census. The reason addresses are collected is to geocode. So what happens is, say, for example, two people living on a street, one person uh, lives in one geographic area, and this happens, uh, and a a neighbour a few houses down lives in a separate one. That the addresses are complete with street, um, suburb and postcode enables, and of course number, a street number, enables that division to occur. So it's, it's for processing reasons. However, that data is now being seen as, as enabling what's known as data integration or data linkage, which then means that the census can be made richer by attaching or integrating with other national data sets. So that's why it's collected. But let me say this, that Uh, names and addresses are held um, probably in a better way this time round, this census, than they ever have been to to ensure that continuity of anonymity. So names are held in one location, addresses in a second, and the rest of the data in a third. And there's what's called a functional separation. So they're not just held kind of, if you like, in in a different data warehouse. They're physically held in three different locations. So if someone were to hack... They would have to physically gain access, not just um, electronic access. And indeed, uh, there's no one within the ABS who has access to all three points. So say, for example, one person looks after addresses, that address person can't look look at names and can't look at the rest of the data. There has been questions raised about whether name and addresses are needed. They are needed for processing, but they also can enable um, strengthening and enhancing of census data. We've seen a pretty strong backlash against the census on social media, particularly gathered around the uh, census fail hashtag. What do you make of all of that? Census fail um, didn't really come into its kind of heyday until probably 10 days out from the census. Um, And it's a means by which I guess many people could say, you know, this is evidence of the ABS of an ABS failure, of an ABS uh, doing wrong or or trying to harm us and it's been used as a vehicle to kind of mount these sorts of government conspiracy theories about what would be done with the data. It was also a means by which – it was a a very effective means by which um, misinformation was further kind of – 
pushed upon and infiltrated, if you like, people's perception of um, the census. So I noticed this was happening. I got very concerned. So I, I, I attempted um, to kind of counter that with um, census matters and uh, hashtags. So I'm not sure how effective that was, but that was my attempt to try and counter the, the, um, the very one-sided nature of, of census fail. And you talked about some of the misinformation that came out under that hashtag. Can you give any specific examples? So there are a lot of claims made about why are names and addresses needed. I've never had to give them before. They're not data. We've always had to give them before. It was used to then make claims about the data were then going to be held indefinitely. It would be indefinite tracking of people. And, of course, these things aren't true. And, and people who understand the idea of linkage and the, and, and the, the nature of census and census processing um, would be able to kind of quickly correct that. There, were, there was also um, suggestions that uh, data would be monetized and onsold um, to people who would perhaps not act terribly um, innocently or ethically with in individual data. And of course, that's not true either. The acts show very clearly, they lay out what the ABS can and cannot do with the data. ABS cannot release identifiable information. Names and addresses are removed from the data. Uh, a statistical linkage key is set up for the purpose of linkage. Um, that key is not released to the public. Uh, the data are perturbed a little bit um, so that they're in a process of confidentialization, so that no one could be even remotely possibly identified or re-identified, uh, re because that was the other argument, that people could be re-identified. Uh, let's talk about the politics of all of mm. this, because the census this time around has become sort of highly politicised. How do you think that that has happened? Look, I think um, a lot of the, the people using the census fail hashtag, um, it appeared that there were perhaps political um, motivations for, for what they were saying. And uh, it was a, used as a vehicle to make a suggestion of government conspiracy and attack the government. Bill Shorten has come out and said that if you can't get a census right, you, what, you know, what can a government possibly do right? Um, uh, people have said things like, well, the, the NBN, all of these things have kind of been rolled into this poor, innocent, mundane census on the side that only seeks to, to better our situation and our wellbeing. It's been, you know, highly politicised, unfortunately. Now, you're one of the researchers who actually works with this information that's collected by the census. What will this mess mean to policymakers and researchers in, in the future working with this kind of data? I'm, I am concerned about the consequences for the data, the consequences for the perception of the census and the perception and... Um, I guess, confidence that people have in in data collection and research. And that's the other thing. Researchers have been attacked saying that and, and our ethics questioned uh, with our support for, for the census. But as I said, um, we've also got to be concerned about people's perception of, of collection of data and what the data are being used for. And that's a difficult one. And I think the only way we can we can really affect or influence people's perception for the better is to inform. And it's a pity that the that the, that this census process hasn't hasn't been a terribly good uh, lesson in communication, if you like. The other thing too, though, is that 
we've seen the ABS show that data linkage works. Data linkage can be quite powerful. I'll give you an example. Indigenous life expectancy. It's usually calculated using deaths data from death registration, which includes the identification of an indigenous, uh, individual's Indigenous status um, as identified by a third party. Okay, that's not ideal. We don't want funeral home directors um, making, or even a doctor making an assumption or, or feeling at a time in grief we, we, we need to ask about one's um, identity. However, in census, it's self-identified Indigenous status. So the ABS have shown that if you link deaths registration data to census and draw on Indigenous status as self-identified in census – life expectancy data can be more accurately calculated. Now, with that, it, that probably sounds like a bit of an abstract thing, but it, that it directly informs the Closing the Gap initiative. Um, but it also has the power, not just for, for this scenario, but for if we were to link all deaths uh, data to, to census, the, uh, we could more um, robustly examine inequalities, health inequalities, social determinants of health, so that we can see then across geography, population groups or areas of population, uh, populations that are experiencing uh, disadvantage or inequality due, f- due to whatever reason. It could be socioeconomic status, it could be uh, physical, geographic location, access to services. We can see that. So by undermining the census, we're undermining that potential to innovate. And because we're uh, heading into an unprecedented time demographically and fiscally, we, go, we are going to need to innovate. We are, our population is now structurally ageing and will continue to do so and we need to be smarter. We need to be smarter in terms of education, employment, uh, because more taxpayers will be drawing on the tax base than contributing. So we need to ensure that we, we get that balance right. So if we get... If we get census wrong, it has a ripple effect that will impact areas that people don't anticipate. It will impact education, uh, tax um, tax redistribution. It will impact on transport infrastructure and even infrastructure possibly related to sewage, water, electricity, these sorts of things that we take for granted that I don't think people are aware that census informs. So it could have pretty widespread uh, ramifications. That's right. And I do enjoy my flushable toilet. (laughs) And safe drinking water as well. (laughs) Liz Allen, thanks so much for your insights on this. Thank you. Fascinating stuff. Thanks, Liz. Coming up shortly, we're going to look at how the census stirred such an online backlash. First, though, a quick reminder that this podcast is brought to you by policyforum.net. Asia and the Pacific's platform for public policy analysis, debate and discussion. We're really interested in getting your thoughts on what we've talked about today. You can tweet us at Apps Policy Forum or find us on Facebook where we are Asia Pacific Policy Society. Now let's dig into the background to this. What changes were made to this year's census and why did it cause such a stir? Helping me to unpick that is Dr Cassandra Cross, formerly of the Queensland Police Force, and an authority on cybercrime and online fraud. Cassandra is a senior lecturer in the School of Justice at Queensland University of Technology. I caught up with her via Skype. 
Cassandra Cross, thanks for joining Policy Forum Pod. Thank you for having me. The hashtag was census fail. Is that how you would classify this? Was it a failure? Um, as a regular tweeter of the hashtag census fail over the past few weeks, I certainly think that there have been some issues surrounding the 2016 census and there has been a failure on the part of the Australian Bureau of Statistics and the Australian government to really communicate the changes and also communicate everything that's happened in, in light of the crash on Tuesday night. So I do think this hashtag census fail does encapsulate a lot of the sentiment and a lot of the issues that have been happening. Now, the census is not a new thing to Australia, but the controversy around it this time certainly sets it apart. What do you think was different? What made it different was that there were some changes put through to change the way that data was retained and I guess the way that that data was used. So in the previous two censuses, there's been some discussion and debate around retaining names and addresses for a longer period of time. And they were actually propositions that were rejected for the past two censuses. But for the 2016 census, there was an announcement made by the Australian Bureau of Statistics just before Christmas in 2015. I think it was late December 2015. So it kind of got in there just before Christmas when people aren't really paying much attention. And there also wasn't very much media coverage of the announcement that came out from the ABS at that stage. And what that put forward was a proposal to retain names and addresses for a longer period of time, for four years compared to the previous 18 months. And it was also around linking that data to other data sets. So what the government has has consistently said over the past few weeks is that the collection of names and addresses isn't new. It's not something that's changed, and that's correct. But what did change and what people were, I think, justifiably concerned about was the retention of that data and the usage of that data to link it to other data sets. So were people's concerns over the privacy of their information justified? Um, I think I think to a large degree they are justified. I think the... The way that the government put through the changes and the way that the Australian Bureau of Statistics tried to communicate those changes, they didn't do very well at that. So there wasn't very much public consultation with the changes to begin with. And once those changes went through, they went through very quietly and without much public um, attention. So it was only really in the last few weeks that there was, I guess, a, a commencement of a debate in the public uh, arena around what these changes actually were and what they would mean. And I think what happened was the government and the Australian Bureau of Statistics just really didn't communicate well these changes and what they meant to people in society. And that's where I think a lot of the fear started to creep in and where a lot of the discussions started to come to the fore. And we see particularly in the last week in the lead up to the census on Tuesday night that there was, particularly on social media, a large discussion around some of the, the concerns. And I do think that the concerns that people were putting forward are justified, particularly around privacy, because there was a move from this census for not only just an increased retention, but also the linking of data set from the census data to other data sets that are held by other government departments. And I just don't think that was very well communicated. And certainly the security aspects also weren't very well communicated. There seemed to be a very strong kind of attitude from the government and the Australian Bureau of Statistics that you just needed to trust us that we've got this under control and that the Australian Bureau of Statistics has an unblemished record, which to a certain degree is true, but 
uh, again, it's, I guess, the way it's interpreted. And I just, it's, it's really around this issue of communication. And I think the government and the Australian Bureau of Statistics have just not done a very good job at all in terms of communicating these changes, why they were needed and what they actually meant for the individual citizen. What perhaps could or should they have done differently? I think firstly what they needed to do before these changes even went through was just do the proper consultation with the public and with privacy interest groups around this. So the previous two censuses where some of these changes were put forward and and rejected at that time, the same level of consultation wasn't undertaken for the 2016 census. So there were many um, groups that weren't cons- weren't consulted, didn't feel that they were part of the conversation. And- Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And this time around, it seemed to have been done very differently to previous, to, yeah, to the two previous censuses. And I think that there was also a little bit of wariness on the part of, I guess, citizens and different groups around why that was done, why the announcement was made the week leading up to Christmas. It just, the way that the communication went just certainly didn't allay any fears that were out there. Are these types of cyber attacks on government agencies common or is it just the case that this one has received more publicity than most? It's very difficult, I think, when I think it was Malcolm Turnbull got up last week and basically gave this ironclad promise that the data would never be compromised and, and the ABS would never be hacked in the future. And I think that's fairly naive and fairly unreasonable to, to make those promises because, to be perfectly honest, there is no system that's it's really unhackable as such. There's no politician, I think, who's in a position to make that promise for the future because the potential offenders out there, they're really good at what they do. And also, to be perfectly honest, a lot of the um, incidents and compromises don't necessarily come from an, from an external source. They can also be, be breached from an internal, an internal source, whether it's an employee or just somebody who just doesn't, not necessarily maliciously, but just does something or doesn't do something, which can result in a data breach or compromise in, in some way. Is there an element here that the data collected in a census just presents too tempting a target for cyber criminals? Um, certainly, we know that identity theft is one of the fastest growing crimes at the moment. We know that identity is a very useful thing for offenders to 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 use for their own purposes. And I just think having the census data all in one place certainly is an attractive target for offenders. It's it's attractive in terms of, I guess, the way that the government has spoken about the data being unhackable. That in some ways I think does put a challenge out there for for certain individuals to to test their skills. But having such personal information all in one place, there I think there is potential for it. It it absolutely is an attractive target. For, for potential offenders down the track. So what lessons should be learned out of all of this? Uh, where to begin? Um, I think there certainly is a lesson around communication and 
And I don't think it was adequate in terms of the Australian Bureau of Statistics and the Australian Government just trying to minimise and trivialise some of the genuine concerns that were out there. So people were putting forward concerns about their data and about how secure it would be and what it would be used for. And I think they are they are justifiable concerns that every individual has about giving over their data. So the minister um, in the lead up to the census likened the census to using Facebook or using um, supermarket reward loyalty um, programs. And I think that that's not really helpful and constructive because the, the key point between Facebook, social media and, and other platforms is that they're voluntary and people have the option to engage on in Facebook on Twitter, on other social media platforms. And to a certain degree, they have the ability to regulate the amount of information they put out there. And granted, there are many people who overshare and who probably don't think about their privacy and security of their data and don't think about those consequences. But as a society, we we kind of, we want to be educating those people. We should, and certainly us as academics, and particularly in this field, we are trying to educate people around the use of their data and around privacy settings and around taking some control of, of what they put out there. So I don't think it's an effective assumption to say that or helpful to say that people put information out on Facebook and therefore they have no problem with sharing in in a census. So I think that there were some comparisons that weren't very helpful and just the nature of the census, it is compulsory and a lot of people enjoy the census and they fill it out because of that sense of civic duty and the importance that it has. And I think unfortunately with this census, with everything that's happened, we've seen a complete loss of trust in the Australian Bureau of Statistics and I think we've also seen, I think, a loss of credibility in any data that's generated from this particular census. Is one possible silver lining out of all of this that people will be a bit... Uh, have greater awareness of their personal data and how their personal data is or might be used by government? Yeah, I mean, I think this certainly does provide a catalyst for having this discussion. And it's a it's a debate and discussion that I think we really do need to have. And particularly in an Australian context, we've seen recently the laws that were passed around the metadata, the metadata retention and we've also had discussions around mandatory data breach um, notifications. And that law, those laws haven't been passed yet, but we certainly have seen the metadata, um, the capture of metadata was passed. So we've been having these debates and discussions around the same issues really kind of in, encompass all three, all three of those topics. And I think the census has really brought all of this to a fore. And hopefully, again, I'm optimistic that it does provide a platform for politicians to start engaging in this debate and more importantly for them to listen to the expertise that is out there, both in the IT area and also privacy and security advocates, for us to have an informed discussion that doesn't that doesn't dismiss the concerns, doesn't trivialise them and doesn't seek to negate them through somewhat, I guess, empty promises. It would be certainly interesting to see what lessons have been learned out of this. Cassandra Cross, many thanks for your time and insights. No worries. Thank you for having me. Many thanks, Cassandra. I hope you're enjoying this pod as much as I enjoyed making it. We've heard some really fascinating insights. If you are enjoying it and you're feeling generous, we would really appreciate it if you could leave us a quick review on iTunes. It only takes 30 seconds or so, and doing so will be a big help to us in getting the word out about the series. 
So we've heard about the changes that sparked the census fail hashtag, and we've heard about how and why the information the census collects is important. But what about that online failure? Why did the ABS census site crash on the night of Tuesday the 9th? And what does that say about the security of information that people were being asked to upload? Michelle Price is Senior Advisor on Cybersecurity at the National Security College and was involved in the development of the Australian Government's Cybersecurity Strategy. I caught up with her to find out what this incident shows about current cybersecurity procedures and what the government needs to do next. Michelle, thanks for joining Policy Forum Pod. Thank you. On census night, millions of Australians were unable to access the website to actually fill in their forms. What do we actually know about what happened? I think at the moment the situation is that we think it's a denial of service incident. Denial of service meaning that a website can't function because there is too much traffic being directed at it from malicious intent. There are a couple of investigations that have been initiated around this, of course, and so we'll, we'll find out in the wash, uh, but that's the situation at the moment. Was the sensitive data being recorded on the census forms ever actually at risk? If this was a denial of service incident, no. Uh, so a denial of service incident is simply that. It's denying the service of the website to function. Uh, so the intent there really is to just actually make sure that the website, I guess, virtually explodes, that people can't access it. You get that error message that everyone did see on Tuesday night. Uh, so data was not at risk if this is what has happened. But certainly uh, there's been plenty of assurances given by the government that uh, data was not uh, interfered with, it was not stolen, it was not even accessed. It was simply the website uh, trying to be taken down. Plenty of people using the census fail hashtag had actually warned that this was a possibility. Why weren't the ABS prepared for this? I suspect that in many respects they were actually prepared for something of this nature, perhaps not necessarily a denial of service incident. Uh, But look, the the whole debate around uh, the privacy of data and whether or not we should have we should be feeling comfortable to put our names on the form, whether that be in hard copy or online, is actually a a separate issue to whether or not this led to uh, the incident that occurred, in the sense that it wasn't privacy itself that caused the incident. Uh, A denial of service uh, would have happened because this was an issue that was playing out a lively debate through the media. Uh, We had politicians that were getting involved in it quite publicly. It was generating a lot of discussion in a very, very public way, that's often a target for malicious actors to identify where they can create a bit of nuisance. Uh, So it's not unusual for a situation like this to end up where something of a virtual malicious nature happens uh, because it's it's an easy target to make nuisance, uh, and this is this seems to have been what has happened. There are many many uh, examples of this happening uh, in previous times in Australia, but also more recently that's been quite public has been in the US associated with the the DNC email intrusions um, in the Hillary camp- uh, Hillary Clinton campaign. So look, this, and that would have absolutely come from the fact that there's a lot of uh, public discussion going on about the election campaigns over there. Uh, so it's not unusual for malicious actors to want to make nuisance over something that is very public because of course the nuisance is equally very public. So what should the ABS have actually done in preparation for this? 
Uh, it's, it's very much about risk management and taking a very broad approach to that risk management. So thinking about all of the different risks that might happen, no matter how unreal they might seem. So thinking, I guess, about the strategic environment that this situation is happening within. What are all both the, the technical issues that could happen around uh, providing this service on one night with so many people needing to provide, uh, be provided with access to the forms, uh, but also that... Um, you know, is there anything else in the environment that's going on that we should be aware of that might play into this? So it's very much about that traditional uh, and to some people quite boring uh, risk management story of did we take account of all of the risks associated with this? Uh, did we do enough job of that, enough, a good enough job of that? And um, that also goes to some of the discussions around the third party providers in this space. Were the risks around the procurement um, of those services managed sufficiently? Does this highlight broader cybersecurity issues for government? It's absolutely a fantastic opportunity to have a look at whether or not the government has cybersecurity right. Uh, so even if this is not something that relates to cybersecurity in the end of it all, when all of the wash comes out uh, of, of, the, of the machine, uh, look, it is absolutely a great opportunity to take stock and uh, position the government to do better regardless of whether or not this was a cybersecurity situation. The cybersecurity strategy that the Prime Minister launched in April of this year does provide some initiatives in it to improve the government's cybersecurity. There are initiatives in there that will help all government agencies at the Commonwealth level do better on cybersecurity. It is a complex matter. It's certainly not something where you can tick and flick, uh, but there certainly are some basic things that all agencies should be doing uh, to make sure that their cybersecurity is in good shape. This is a great opportunity for all of those agencies to do that before something like hashtag census fail happens to them. How is this likely to change things in the future? If they were to run the census again tomorrow, what would we see that might be different? I don't know that we'd actually visibly see too much that's different. Of course, the website would presumably look the same. Uh, but certainly whenever the uh, website does come back up again, it will be an increased target for malicious activity, simply again by the virtue of people wanting to create nuisance uh, and, and possibly even worse than just nuisance. Uh, so we won't necessarily see anything different, but I think what we'll hear is different. The census itself and the incident that happened on Tuesday We've, has already seen things change. For the first time in my experience around these issues, we've seen not only our head of state, the Prime Minister, come out very quickly and make some statements about what's going on. We've also seen a whole series of people, both at the political level and the officials level, come out very publicly and talk about the incident. This has not happened before. So we've already seen a change occur and I think that there's an opportunity when the site does get relaunched uh, to be continuing to talk about why this is important for government agencies but also for individuals. What can individuals be doing to make sure that their own cybersecurity is in good shape? What does this mean for Australians' sort of trust and confidence in online government service delivery? Presumably it's taken a bit of a, bit of a knock this week. 
It has, and it's very, very unfortunate. Trust and confidence is something that is very tenuous in cyberspace. Uh, and for those that have suffered from genuine cyber attacks, complex and sophisticated cyber attacks know all too well that that trust and confidence can absolutely evaporate in a moment. Uh, so trust and confidence, even if there has been or has, more importantly, has not been a cyber attack involved, that trust and that confidence can be eroded very, very quickly but it takes a very long time to rebuild again. Uh, it's going to take a very coordinated effort on behalf of the government to make sure that the, the community continues to invest its time and its confidence in online services. Uh, and I think that uh, that will be an effort that will be a good endeavour for the government to take on board. I know it will do that, of course, uh, but it's doing it in a way that uh, gives assurances across the board. This is not something that's just affecting the ABS now. This incident will be applied, no doubt, for years to come to every other service delivery that happens online for the government and will no, no doubt also affect other levels of government in Australia as well. Uh, so it's being strong about what we care about and making sure that that trust and confidence is rebuilt in a very meaningful way. So it's going to change risk management strategies for government delivery, online delivery, uh, almost permanently from here on in. It absolutely should. And look, honestly, if it doesn't, then we've failed again. So look, it's uh, it, it should change risk management approaches uh, and it should also investigate around, it, it should cause investigations around how risk management more broadly is done uh, within IT, anything whether that be procurement, whether it be um, maintenance, whether it be supply chain, or whether it be around cybersecurity, uh, absolutely, uh, the risk management discussions should be happening from the top down, not from the bottom up. Leadership in this space is so critical uh, to make sure that we get it right, but get it right in a sustained way. This is not something that's going away. Uh, we're not jumping off the internet anytime soon. Uh, so that, uh, that trust and confidence, again, coming through in the risk management approach, doing that in a very transparent, as transparent as we can be. Of course, there are some things that we can't be transparent about. Um, when I say we, you know, from the individual, there are some things that we don't like made available publicly. It's the same for organisations, whether those be public or private organisations, but being as transparent as we can, and certainly the process can be made transparent. Uh, so there's lots of opportunities that comes from something like this. Uh, it's whether or not we choose to grab it by the horns and, and really learn the lessons. And uh, in this case, there are lots of lessons that no doubt can be learned. So beyond the immediate analysis of what's happened, what else could come of this? I think there's much that we can do beyond the immediate lessons learned and I really do hope that we can take on board some some genuine lessons from this and not sort of think about it we actually do something about it but beyond the immediate that will hopefully imp uh, have impact for risk management strategies as we discussed I think it's a good opportunity for us to be thinking about how we continuously evolve our policy in this space and how we also develop the relationship between the technical space and the policy space we're reasonably good at that at the moment, but we can get better. We can certainly get better at the relationship between policy and operations in this space in terms of how the threats and the risks continuously evolve. So we do continuously see things like the more traditional uh, cyber threats and risks around things like denial of service incidents, but there are many, many, many other things that are coming at us that we need to be prepared for. And this is a great opportunity to take this on board. 
Finally, Michelle, the hashtag used the word fail. How would you describe what happened? Was this census fail? It's a very unfortunate hashtag, but of course, it's very easy to say. Look, I think there, there's, it's clear that there have been some failures at some levels here, whether those be personnel or whether they be uh, management decisions, whatever the case may be. Uh, there has been a, a failure of some kind here. Uh, but look, uh, at the end of the day... Uh, I think that the people have spoken. Um, so it's now thinking about creatively how that hashtag can be turned around in a meaningful way uh, to, to try and regain the situation. That's fantastic. Many thanks for your time and expertise, Michelle. Thank you so much. Interesting insights and many thanks to Michelle and all of our experts today. If you'd like to read more on this, Michelle has written a piece on the cybersecurity implications of this incident. You can find it at policyforum.net, and there's also a link in the description of this pod. So we've heard about why the changes to the census sparked online concerns, about why the census data plays such a key role in the development of policy, and what the website fail could mean for future perceptions of online government service delivery. Really hope you've enjoyed this episode of Policy Forum Pod. Drop us a line on Twitter where we are at Apps Policy Forum, preferably not using the hashtag podcast fail. You can also get us on Facebook where we are Asia Pacific Policy Society or just leave us a comment on policyforum.net. We'll be really interested to hear your take on it all. Don't forget, you can keep up to date with public policy issues throughout the region at policyforum.net. We'll be back in a fortnight with another Policy Forum Pod. Until then, cheerio. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.